Well, I hope you've been uh, enjoying our time in Acts so far. It's just, you know, it's, it's action-packed. It, it's lots going on. Uh, there's lots every week to, uh, to read about and think about and hear. And it's great just going through these kind of slabs of narrative as God does his thing in growing his church. So let me pray as we come to Acts chapter 4. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that we get to read in the book of Acts and just see the great work you've done through Jesus, your Son, and by the power of your Spirit to build your church, to call people to yourself uh, and to instruct them and teach them and embolden them to live your ways. And we pray this morning that we might indeed be emboldened to live for Jesus in all that we do. This we ask in his name. Amen. Well, how do you go at uh, speaking the name of Jesus? I know that sounds like a little bit of an odd question, but as we've started in the book of Acts, it's just been clear how much the Apostle Peter wants to speak the name of Jesus. We've seen his first two sermons, and the first two sermons, they're all about Jesus. And today we're up to Peter's sermon number three, and surprise, surprise, it's all about Jesus. And what makes this incredible is just how different this is to the Peter of two months ago. So just, just remember what Peter was like two months before these events that we're reading about now. Do you remember what Peter was like the night Jesus was arrested, uh, just before Jesus was killed? Do you remember what Peter said as that servant girl, you know, no status, a servant girl in that society, the service girl had asked Peter, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And do you remember what Peter said when another man asked him, aren't you, isn't Jesus your teacher? And do you remember when a third person came up to Peter and said to him, I I saw you just then in the garden with with Jesus. You were there, Peter. I saw you. Do you remember what Peter said each time? Each of those times he said, I'm not a follower. I I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this, this Jesus. And when Jesus was killed, what did Peter and all the disciples do as soon as Jesus was killed? They went and they hid away. They, They were scared. They were frightened for their lives, worried that they'd be next. And now it's only two months later from that time that Peter did all those things and all that fear. And now Peter cannot stop speaking the name Jesus. And he does it to anyone and to everyone. And he does it in public and he does it in in private. And what Acts chapter 4 forces us to ask is, what changed? why, Why the change in Peter? What's different And I think it makes us ask ourselves, how am I going at speaking that name of Jesus? Do I speak it boldly like Peter and John? And if not, why don't I speak the name of Jesus? And what will strike us as we go through this chapter is that at one level, nothing has changed for Peter. Uh, We'll see this. It's incredible. The powers that be that that Peter was feared, uh, Peter was scared of and feared of that day when Jesus was arrested, they're all the same. They're all still there. And the social pressures that Peter would have felt to not speak the name of Jesus, they're all the same. They're still there. And yet at another level, everything has changed because of Jesus. And this will be really relevant for us today because our world is not that different to the world of the Apostle Peter. See, the pressures he felt from the powers that be and the social pressures he felt not to speak about Jesus, they're the same today. They're still here, and yet Peter did speak. And the question for us will be why. So my hope is that we'll be encouraged by Peter's boldness in his chapter, and also we'll learn where his boldness came from. Why did he speak so boldly about Jesus? 
And uh, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then my hope is that you'll see that everything indeed changes because of what happened with Jesus 2,000 years ago. So let's uh, jump into this chapter and just remember where we left off from last week in Acts chapter 3. I'm sure you can't forget Phil's, uh, Phil's singing, if you remember, about the lame man who was walking and leaping and praising God. At night church, Phil sang almost the whole song. So I don't know why he was scared to sing before you guys. Maybe he'll sing more next time. Uh, but following that healing, following the healing of that lame man, Peter then called on the crowd to repent. He called on them to recognize that it was in the name of Jesus that 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 lame man was healed. And so the right thing to do, because they've just seen the power of the name of Jesus, was to turn to Jesus, to repent, to make him Lord and King. But as we kick off chapter 4, we see that the powers that be did not like what Peter and John were teaching about Jesus. So pick it up with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, again, you need one. Uh, please, you'll be, you'll be lost without one. So stick your hand up if you don't have a Bible, and Avril will come drop one to you. But make sure you're there. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And this is point 1 on your outlines. In Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. So chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple, the temple police... And the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day since it was already evening. And what's really interesting as uh, chapter 4 kicks off is why Peter and John were taken into custody. Because you notice the reason there. It wasn't because you know they were speaking in the name of Jesus or all the nice things Jesus had done when he was alive. It wasn't because they spoke all the miracles Jesus had performed or even the wise teachings that Jesus has taught. Look again at verse 2. Why did they arrest them? Why were they provoked? It's because Peter and John were teaching about the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. It's a bit odd. Just think about it for a minute. In other words, they were going around saying... The resurrection age has come. Now that Jesus is raised from the dead, well, the resurrection of the dead had begun. That's what they were teaching. That's what they were preaching. And that's what provoked the Sadducees and the priests and the rulers. But why? Why were they provoked? Well, ultimately, it's because it undermined their power. Uh, You see, the Sadducees, what they did is that they taught against the idea of resurrection. It's the old line. It's a bit corny, but it helps you remember the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. Uh, It's corny, but it's a good way to remember what the Sadducees were about. And so they, they didn't think resurrection from the dead existed. They said it was false. But if Jesus is risen, then the Sadducees would be proved wrong. And if they were wrong, then they would no longer exist as as a religious group and a religious power. All that they stand for, their status would be no more. And it's the same with the other religious groups, that the priests and the rulers and the Pharisees, they did believe in resurrection from the dead, and they taught about the resurrection age, but they didn't believe it happened with Jesus. They, They rejected Jesus. They killed Jesus. And so again, if Jesus is risen... Well, then these priests and rulers and Pharisees, they'd be proved wrong. And they'd lose their power and they'd lose their status. And so what do the powerful usually do when their power is threatened? What do they do? 
Well, they eliminate the threat. And so Peter and John are teaching things that undermines their power, and so they arrest them and they put them in prison. But incredibly, look at what happens in verse 4. See, look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the message, that is, of the resurrection from the dead in Jesus, many of those who heard that message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000, let alone, who knows how many women and children as well on top of that. And again, just, just to think about that, that's incredible, isn't it? Here they are getting arrested you know, with the Sadducees and the rulers trying to eliminate the threat, and yet they're, they're multiplying. 5,000 of them now, men, let alone women and children. Uh, it's like that serpentine uh, water monster, if you ever remember the Disney Hercules movie. It was one of my favorites. It's pagan, but anyway. It was one of my favorites as a kid growing up. I wasn't a Christian as a growing up as a kid. But do you remember Hercules and the, the, uh, the serpentine water monster and you chop the head off and then two heads multiply? It's like that. They're trying to eliminate the threat, cut it off. And these people, followers of Jesus, they just keep multiplying. And that's what we must remember at this point. You see, you can't stop the work of God. If it's a work of God, it cannot be stopped. Arrest them, persecute them, even, even kill them. And yet the will of God will still be done. Uh, I was at a conference, and some of you might have been there as well, earlier this year, when an English pastor shared about this time when he stood up amongst a... He was at another conference, and he stood up amongst this uh, congregation that he was a part of. And uh, he, he prayed for the, the persecution of the church in the Middle East. And as he was praying that God would stop the persecution in the Middle East, a Middle Eastern man stood up mid-prayer and stopped him from praying. And he, and he said to him, he said, do not pray that God will end the persecution in the Middle East, which is a shocking thing to pray. But the man, he said, the reason he asked him not to pray for persecution to stop in the Middle East is because he didn't want the Middle Eastern church to become like the Western church, comfortable. Uh, you know, uh, compromising, uh, materialistic. Because as far as he was concerned, persecution made the Middle Eastern church grow and multiply and strong and robust. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't pray for the persecuted church. That is a good thing to do. And I'm not saying we should pray for persecution, but it's a good reminder, isn't it? God does all things for his glory and for the good of his people. And we see that in the arrest here of Peter and John. He starts persecution. Here is arrest and yet multiplication. God glorified, people saved. But as we get to verse 5, uh, have a look at verse 5. It's now the next day and it's our next point on our outlines. Peter before the court. Look with me from verse 5. So the next day, their rulers, elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with, uh, I, I always say this wrong, I think it's, Annas, but I always feel like saying an ass, and he is a bit of a donkey, as we'll see. But uh, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked a question, by what power or in what name have you done this? Have you healed this lame man? Because remember, this is all about what happened last week. And what we need to realize as we picture this court and visualize this court, is that Peter is standing before the same court and the same individuals that Jesus stood before when he was arrested and killed. It's the same court. 
It's, it's the same individuals who'd stirred up the crowds on that day when Jesus was arrested and, and got the crowd to scream out, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter, he knew this. Same court, same people that killed his master. And just, just put yourself in Peter's shoes, or sandals for that matter for a moment. See, put yourself in his shoes. Imagine you were Peter, brought before that court. Imagine if you were now being, being brought before that, that corrupt court that you knew did not care about justice, that you knew had killed your master, that, that you knew, that they knew that you'd been speaking in the name of Jesus, whom they'd killed. If you were in front of that court, what would you say? How would you feel? So look at what Peter does. Look at verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, to the court, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, it's by him this man is standing here before you healthy. Again, his life is at stake. That's bold. He's basically saying, you want to know what power and what name this man was healed? It's by the power and name of Jesus. Uh, do you remember him you called? Do you remember the man from Nazareth that was a threat to you and then you, you killed? Well, it's by him that this man is raised. It's bold what Peter does. And what an incredible transformation. We know what Peter did last time. We know what he did when, when Jesus was called to account by that same court. Peter hid. Peter denied knowing Jesus. And it makes us ask, why? How? What made the Peter of Acts chapter 4 now so radically different to the Peter of two months ago? He's in front of the court this time, and yet he says, yes, I know Jesus. You see, forget those before and after shots of the balding men who now have hair like Fabio. No, this is radical transformation. But why? Well, I think we get three reasons. For one, it's because of what we saw two weeks ago with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's there in verse 8. So look again in verse 8. You see, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what we must remember. The Holy Spirit is the only reason anyone believes in Jesus and is transformed to be like Jesus. It's a work of God's Spirit. That's what's happening here. That's the first reason, the Holy Spirit. But the second reason is because the one whom they, the court, crucified, God raised. See, look at verse 11. Look at what, look at what Peter says in verse 11. He says, it's because this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, by you rulers and powers that be, which has now become the cornerstone. And uh, do you know what a cornerstone is? There's a, there's a picture there up on the screen. The cornerstone is the most important stone that the rest of the building depends upon and is built upon. And what the court did is they rejected that most important stone. So imagine it like a master builder. He's about to start his grand project. He's looking for the right cornerstone to start the building with. And he finds a really nice looking stone. But then he inspects it and thinks, no, no, I don't like that one. He chucks it away. He rejects it. And so what happens, well, what they did, the court is basically like that master builder. They, they had this precious stone that was perfect and they rejected it. They rejected the most important stone. 
And in raising Jesus from the dead, God declares that rejected stone to be the cornerstone. And Peter, he knows this. We've got to remember this. Peter has seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. He, he saw Jesus killed. He, he, he saw that happen. He saw him dead. He saw him raised. And so he knows that Jesus is that most important stone. That's why he's transformed. He knows Jesus is Lord. That's the second reason. But the third, the third reason, number three, is in verse 12. See, look at verse 12. Peter says, there is, in sal- there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. So why is Peter so transformed? It's because he knows that Jesus is the only name that can save. So, so why would he deny that name again? Why, why would he be ashamed of the name that saved him from hell and eternal judgment? You see, we should be hugely encouraged by Peter's transformation. It should actually spur us on to trust the truth and power of the name of Jesus. Why? Well, just think about it for a second. Again, imagine if you were Peter. Would you die for a lie? Imagine you were Peter facing all the pressure, standing before that court that could kill you. Would you face sufferings and beatings and imprisonment, which is what will happen more and more to Peter and John and the others? Would you suffer all that for something that was a lie? For a dead man named Jesus that didn't really raise from the dead? See, the reason Peter was so radically transformed with all the suffering and all the beatings was because he knew, without a doubt, that everything about Jesus is true and remember peter he wasn't afraid to hide away he, he wasn't coward enough to deny jesus three times before he was killed we probably would have done the same fearing our own lives but peter changed now because he knows it all to be true he's seen the risen jesus see he's there in the temple complex in the lion's den where all the rulers that be would hear him speaking about jesus and he's not afraid because he knows jesus is risen he knows the resurrection age has come he's not afraid you see peter's transformation should spur us on because it affirms powerfully that everything about jesus is true but just because it is true does not mean that everyone then will believe in jesus and this is point three now the court's hard heart and uh, this this section of acts 4 it's just it's just sad really look at verse 13 look from verse 13 when they the court observed the boldness of peter and john and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men they were amazed and recognized that they had been with jesus And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. You see, all the evidence was there that the fact that these uneducated and untrained men could speak so marvelously about Jesus, that the fact that that a lame man stood there miraculously healed in the name of Jesus, a man who was 40 years young, because 40 years isn't old, right? That's incredible. That's incredible that, 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 that all that was before them. And instead of doing what they should have done as the court, instead of, instead of doing what they should have done, which is confess that Jesus is Lord and bow the knee to Jesus and recognize him as Lord and King, what do they do? 
Well, look at verse 18. Look at what the court does. All the evidence is before them. Verse 18. So what do they do? They called for Peter and John and ordered them not to preach or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's just sad. See, the truth was undeniable. The power of Jesus was right in front of them in the healing of that man. But they loved their own life way too much. They valued their own ways, even above the truth. Uh, Years ago, when I was in youth ministry, there was a young man. He was about uh, 19 or 20 at the time. And he he knew all about Jesus. Uh, He was actually persuaded about Jesus. He he believed what the Bible said. He, He believed that Jesus is a real historical figure, believed that he died, believed even that he rose again. He, he thought the resurrection to be true. And I thought, great, you know, fantastic. He'd been coming to youth for about three years or so. I thought, this is awesome. He believes in Jesus. He's a Christian. He, he's following Jesus. But then he said to me, but I can't call myself a Christian. And I asked him why. And he said, because I don't want to count the cost. I don't want to count the cost of following Jesus. I don't want my life to change. I believe it to be true. But I love my way of life too much. And at one level, that is a good thing for that young man to have understood. Because you need to understand what it means to follow Jesus. But at another level, I I mourned his response. I still do today. He's still not a Christian. It broke my heart. He loved the way of sin and the way of this world too much. More than the truth. More than he loved the God who saved him so powerfully. And what this young man failed to believe is true is that God's way is ultimately best anyways. It's better than the life of sin. It's better than the life of the way of the world. You see, these men of the court, they got it so wrong. They crucified Jesus. They had killed the Son of God. And even now, while they're being offered forgiveness for the evil that they had done, they still don't want to repent. They still don't want to change. And they harden their hearts. But it's Peter and John's response that are some of my favorite words in all the Bible. I really do love what they say. Look at what they say in verse 19. This is our final point, speaking boldly the name of Jesus. Look at verse 19. Again, picture all the the pressure. Their lives are at stake. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I love those verses for a couple of reasons. And the first is because of of the irony, actually. Uh, See, here are Peter and John. They're being threatened by the supposed leaders and teachers of Israel, uh, the Sadducees and the scribes and the high priests. They're the teachers. And Peter and John make it very clear that they obey God. And they don't fear man. They're not going to fear the power of man. And so they know very clearly by whose power and name the man was healed. It's Jesus. So they listen to God, not the threats of man. But then look at verse 21. Look at how the court respond. Look at what they say. Verse 21, after threatening them further, they, the men of the court, released Peter and John, and they found no way to punish them. Why? Because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. You see, the court, they actually feared the crowd. They wanted to punish Peter and John. 
They wanted to flog them for teaching about Jesus, but they didn't because they couldn't deny what had happened. And if they did, the crowd would have turned on them. They were cowards. But the second reason I love Peter and John's words is because of verse 20. Do you see what they say in verse 20? Basically, they're saying, sure, you can threaten us. Sure, you can even flog us, which they will get flogged in chapter 5. But regardless, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. We can't help speak about Jesus. And again, it's just so logical. They saw the risen Jesus. They knew the resurrection age had begun. The Holy Spirit had come. They knew for certain Jesus is Lord and Messiah. So what else could they do but speak? They can't help but speak. You know how sometimes Christians say, uh, you know, God never commands us to evangelize. Nowhere in the Bible can you find a verse where God says, you must speak about Jesus to other people. That verse doesn't exist in those words. And just imagine for a minute that God did command us in that way to speak about Jesus. See, what a burden. And how fake. Imagine God said to us, you better go and tell the world just how loving a God I am. And you better go tell the world just how much I love them. And you better go tell the world just how much you love me. And if you don't, you're breaking my commands. And you be careful what will happen to you if you don't go say how loving I am. Imagine if God did that. You see, now God doesn't command us like that. But if you understand God's love for you in Jesus, you speak about Jesus. You can't help but speak about Jesus to others if Jesus truly is Lord and King. If truly it is only in the name of Jesus which anyone can be saved. Many of you have probably heard this quote before. It's, uh, it's quoted in an excellent book by Rico Tice called Honest Evangelism. And uh, in the book, Rico quotes uh, the atheist Penn. If you ever heard of Penn and Teller, the, the, the magical duo. And Penn, he's an atheist, but he says this about the Christian he says, about the Christian, he says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And Penn is wrong about a whole host of things, but I think he's right there. It's logical, isn't it? It's loving to speak about Jesus to other people if indeed Jesus is the only name in which people can be saved. But the third reason why I love Peter and John's words is because even though they can't help but speak, that doesn't mean it's easy for them to speak. Again, we've got to realize that the first century world was not some easy place for them to say Jesus is Lord and King. That the powers that be wanted to shut them up and flog them. And some of them, most of them, will get killed for it. There were social pressures which made it unpopular and offensive to say Jesus is the only way. It was unpopular back then, just like today. And so what do the apostles and the other early followers of Jesus do? Knowing they can't help but speak, but it's not easy to speak. They prayed. And we can't spend uh, time in these final verses, in verses 23 to 31, but just look at verse 29 for a moment. Look at verse 29. Look at what those first believers prayed for in verse 29. They said this to God. They said, And now, Lord, consider their threats and take them away. Uh, stop the threats. 
bring judgment upon their heads and hot coals and get rid of them. That's not what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that us, your slaves, may speak. Speak your message with complete boldness. You see, it's never been easy to speak. But God is pleased to make us bold to speak of Jesus, his son. And so let me finish just with a question uh, that we started with. How how are we going at, at speaking that name of Jesus? My guess is that, like me, you're very good at speaking that name of Jesus uh, on Sundays because <laughs> it's easy amongst us and probably pretty good at doing it during gospel teams and perhaps good during it midweek when you meet with other snackers to talk about Jesus and, and the things of him. But how do we go at other times speaking about Jesus? And if we're bold, you know, maybe we speak about going to church. That's a bold thing to do. If we're bold, maybe we speak about God or even being a Christian But how do we go at speaking about Jesus? And if we don't speak his name, why is that? Is it simply because we don't think to to speak Jesus' name? Or is it because we're afraid to? Again, saying God seems so much easier, but say Jesus, that's pretty radical. Or is it because we're ashamed to, that we're worried that if we tell people we're Christians and actually say Jesus to them and speak about Jesus our Lord... That, that we, we're worried they might think us silly or foolish, and we don't want to look silly. You see, what are the things that you and me can't help but speak about? What, is, what are the things that people can't help but speak about? It's usually the things they love, right? So there are some people I know that they can't help but speak about football every time I see them. Uh, you know, be it the inferior over ball, uh, oval shaped ball football or the more superior round ball type. For that person, it's always football, football, football every time you see them. They love it. Well, for some people, it's their holiday adventures and they're always talking about a future holiday or a past holiday and they'll bring their photos and they'll share a thousand photos with you and you think, wow, if I can go to one of those places, that'd be great, but there's no way I can go to all those places. They love holidays and they'll always talk about their holidays and their adventures. For others, it's their TV shows and, and the latest Netflix series. They, they're telling you about their show they've been watching and their face lights up and, and, and they glow. And, and if they're really unwell, they tweet about their show and they, they watch reruns on the weekend and are a bit too obsessed. You see, people can't help but speak about the things they love. They love them, so they speak about them. And they meditate on them. And they read about them. And they listen to it. And so they speak. But you see, we have the most incredible truth to love. We have the most amazing words to speak. And we know of the most loving act in all of history. And so my prayer for you, as it is for me, is that we can't help but speak about Jesus. Not because we have to. Not because we must. Not because... We, we even should, but because we understand God's love for us in Jesus and we meditate on Jesus and we read of him and we pray to him and we relate to him and we love him and so we can't help but speak of him. You see, by what power can we be saved? By what name? There's only one. Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord and Messiah. So let us boldly speak his name. Amen.